The programme which follows is brought to you by Resonance 104.4 FM. Good afternoon, good afternoon, good afternoon, London Town. This is me, this is Simon Tishko, this is Isotopica, this is Resonance 104.4 FM, the world's most magnificent, and let's face it, rather attractive arts radio station. Anyway, what we've got this week, we've got Isotopica, which is yet another detour. I'm still reeling from flying about in an aeroplane with a white rabbit the other week, which is on my website. I'd like you to look at that and perhaps tell me what you think. We all really enjoyed it. That website being theculture.net, where you can find links to something we all at Resonance are so excited about. We're all going to be going to the Science Museum later on in May, and we're going to be broadcasting live from one of the world's greatest, biggest, and most accurate loudspeakers, Alex Kukowski's The Exponential Horn, a recreation of the Denim Horn at the Science Museum, which is just one of those super, super, duper anoraki projects that is an absolute must resonance do. Anyway, that means you can come and see Isotopic Live. I'd really like it to uh, hey, get to meet some of the listeners out there. Anyhow... This is a week, it's a funny old week, because it's coming up to my birthday, and I'm getting increasingly so old, it's just, it's absurd I can even still broadcast, let alone make dynamic and exciting conceptual art, which you can also find at theculture.net, blah blah blah, but it's also an anniversary, it's coming up to either 21 or 22 years, which being such a long time ago I can't quite remember, since I actually stopped taking drugs, and it seems seems appropriate to do something like a drug dealing special, but you know, I wasn't quite ready or prepared for it, so that is going to come up if, you know, if you wanted to send links, money, fold it up in paper bags, leave them behind the cistern down the road, King's Cross, where you, you still can, and I shall broadcast an isotopic drug dealing special, how to make a profit, how not to get caught, all the usual things, you know, enslaving children in playgrounds, because that's where the profit is. Anyway... I digress, because this week's episode is not one of those. This week, we're going to hear about Jesus, Jesus Christ and revelations and things like that. It's kind of a long meditation on that sort of thing. It's one of those twisted, sonic, musical, pin-back-your-ears kind of isotopical episodes, and kind of brought about because... I'm a pirate. I'm an internet pirate. I have to admit it. I have been very actively taking part in a paradigmatic shift in the notion of ownership for rather some time now. And one of the things I've been downloading has been um, an American series, which is strangely called Cosmos. It's Cosmos with an A in the end. And I think it's just the way they pronounce it, but that's neither here nor there. It's actually magnificent, apart from the Scooby-Doo style animations, which I don't really know what that's all about. But what Cosmos is so beautiful that it's a, a solid and beautiful work to the joys of rationality, of science, of evidence of humanity, of humanism, of humankind. And of course, the other side of that are the religious people, the spiritual people, the homeopaths, the um, acupuncturists, the new age, the new age. What is new age? New age are the hippies who bought it who actually got sold it rather than bought it. That's the people that go to the whole food, health food, whatever, detox shops and um, fell for the old trick as the beautiful revolutional things of the 60s were soon gobbled up and sold back to us in rather ridiculous form. I think you'll all agree. But anyway, it's one of my favourite things. I think all of that, it's time we woke up to rationality, to the seriousness of the human condition, the beauty of the human condition, the mysteriousness and wonderfulness of the universe and mankind's place in there. And as such, we need to wake up, stop believing in unicorns and um, let's just save the planet, you know, like cut down on electric kettles, don't drive the 4.2 litre Jag except at weekends, that sort of thing. You know what to do, we know how to go there. That's the way it's going to be. So. 
Let's go to the complete opposite extreme, obviously, because that's what I like to do. Let's talk about Jesus. Let's talk about Jesus Christ and how he can save us and how the end times are coming and things like that. And it's going to be done in a kind of funny voice with some nice music backgrounds. And once again, it's Isotopica as a meditation. Do you notice every week I go on and on and on and on and on even longer? That's because I like it more and more and more. So, thanks for listening to Isotopica. Pin back your ears. Check and line if you want at the same time for past, future, past, present and all the other details of Isotopica at www.theculture.net. In the meantime, let's hear what today's detail sounds like, shall we? The Book of Revelation. For a long time, people have been asking me to do a study in the Book of Revelation. And while I was working on the musical album I produced covering the text of the Book of Revelation, I was mentally thinking about this. And honestly, I found myself somewhat hesitant to teach the Book of Revelation because I thought, to some degree, in contrast to the Gospels, in Book of Revelation, I can't teach as much as I would like to teach because I don't understand everything in the book of Revelation. Nor do I believe even that everything in the book of Revelation can be understood. And I want to give this preface to my study because I think there are some misunderstandings very prevalent with people who try to interpret prophecy. Prophecy is probably the most popular subject when it comes to the Bible. People love to talk about prophecy. When I was a teenager, I used to watch Jack Van Empey and the other prophecy guys on TV. I don't remember half of them. Through them and through tracks and through other, all kinds of groups, groups from Adventists to Jehovah's Witnesses to one group or the other, I have been told since I was a teenager that we are living in the end times. Problem is, during all that time, I've never seen any end time events actually happen. You know, there were books written in the 80s about Arabs, oil in the Middle East, and books written in the 90s about the coming this and the coming that, and how the news relates to prophecy. And as I've studied over the past 20 years, I've found that much of what they're saying is just not true. I've come to the position that I believe that we are not living in the end times. That the end times are a future time. And I'm very strict about this. The end times are the times of the end. And that would be limited to the events covered in the book of Revelation. Those are the end times. Any times other than those times are not the end times. The end times are the times immediately preceding the return of Jesus Christ within a few years. So in 1980, we were not living in the end times because Jesus did not return in the next few years. In the 90s, we were not living in the end times because Jesus did not return any time near the 90s. And in the early part of this millennium, we were not in the end times. I began to come to this position around the time of 2001 when I realized that this isn't happening. These people are all wrong. And the thing is, they never have to pay. They're never called to account by the people who follow them. They should have lost credibility and should be considered false prophets. Because they said we were in the end times and we were not in the end times. The book of Revelation, in chapter 22, though we're going to do this verse by verse, in chapter 22 it says, Seal not the sayings of the prophecy of this book, for the time is at hand. In the book of Revelation, there are many passages which lead us to believe that these events are imminent. But if you're a believer, and you look back at the past 2,000 years, the events were not imminent. I mean, that's academic. There's no real argument about that. Well, unless you're an amillennialist or um, of some other opinion, I'm not. But uh, aside from that, Jesus Christ did not return in the first century. So what do these time markers mean? I'm going to demonstrate as we read the book of Revelation that John was carried into the future. And he was in a time and a place where by the perspective of many things that were said were of that future time and place. He was seeing and reporting events and things were being said to him in that time, in that place, which were true in that time and that place. But that place to us is still yet future. And so if you take it from the wrong perspective, meaning like, okay, this is all true now, till the time of being slept. For example, you shall be purified and make one sayings and try. But the wicked shall do wicked. And none of the wicked shall understand, but the wise shall understand. Certain things written in Daniel, 
Secrets, which have many books have been published on, are not supposed to be understood till the end. Now those authors believed they were living in the end times, so they thought, ah, we can understand this, but they were wrong. They were not living in the end times. They didn't understand. I get people sending me emails about prophecy in 2014, 2015, 2017. It's all bunk. Now, could the end times begin soon? I suppose. The end times could begin, but we're not in them now. And if you keep predicting that the end times are on top of us, if you just keep doing that, eventually you'll be proved right. But you're not really proved right because you've just been saying that all along. You, you didn't really predict anything. There's nothing remarkable. The book of Revelation says it is not sealed, though, in chapter 22. But as I will demonstrate, I believe it is still sealed, much of it. Many of these things are still sealed up, so I, I, I'm saying all this because I feel somewhat that I owe you an explanation. But some things I will not be able to explain. It has always been my opinion that the best way to prepare for the end times is to follow Christ according to the, the way I've taught you in the Gospels and in the epistles of the, the apostles. That if we put our faith in Him and trust in Him that the promises of God in Christ would be fulfilled in us and build ourselves up in righteousness and build ourselves up in the things of faith that we will be prepared to stand because the temptations that we are facing now will not be compared to the ones we will face then if we can learn to run with the footmen we can learn to to run with the horses some people think that the point of prophecy is to figure it all out ahead of time but that is not the point of prophecy the point of prophecy is not to prove how intellectual you are how clever you are God is not going to be waiting on judgment day you're going to come on he's going to go boy I sure am proud of you you were a smart guy you figured out all that prophecy before it happened you're one of my favorite Christians God is not impressed by our knowledge if I figure out before God has revealed it to me, if I, if I, by power of my mind, figure out what the four horsemen signify, without a doubt, if I figure it out, because you know how many people think they've got that figured out? The four horsemen of the apocalypse, they think, oh, I know what that means. You know how many people think they have that figured out? Do you think God's going to line them all up and say, you were right, you were wrong, you were wrong, you were wrong, you were wrong, you were right, you who are right, you're going to get a special sticker. Yeah, well, put that right on your angelic raiment. Sticker. Smart guy. The point of Christianity is not to be the cleverest. You know, there are many, not many wise are called even in the first place. And even among the wise, God shuts our eyes and blinds us until the time appointed that we should know what is going to happen. We don't know before we're supposed to know. And if we intrude into those things which we have not seen, we risk coming vainly puffed up in our fleshly minds. Because we're intruding into, intruding into things that God has not revealed to us, that He has not shown us. And we intrude and our minds are puffed up. All that I know, all that I have seen, and I am the great prophet because I figured out ahead of time all these things. You know what? That is not what we are supposed to be doing to prepare for these days. We, the time we live in now, the temptations are here for us to prepare ourselves that should we come to those times that we would be prepared to withstand the temptations in the end days. I will keep thee from the hour of temptation. And how does that, how does that accomplish? Because thou hast kept the word of my patience. God is patient and long-suffering. God, who leads us to repentance and to his promises, is patient with us. We are patient with our brethren. And when we keep that word, our minds are filled with his truth. And, our, and we learn from him how we ought to walk in this life which is the best preparation for how you ought to walk in the end times you don't need to know at this point in time right now you don't need to know where antichrist is going to be marching his armies or what certain symbols means i do think that revelation that it's not completely sealed up I, i'm going to be able to teach you some things that i think are very solid and some very important benchmarks that when the time comes will lead you to greater revelation i can't reveal it all to you but i can reveal enough to you that when the time comes you will be prepared and not be lost and i don't mean lost in the sense of lost in salvation i mean just lost confused and, and not knowing what's going on. Aside from our preparation um, spiritually and our behavior and, and being ready to withstand all kinds of temptation, because here's the thing, Jesus said that to whoever you yield your members to obey, that is who your master is. 
So if you yield your members to sin now, you're already yielding to Satan. You're yielding yourself to Satan. He is already your master. So now is the time to prepare. Because if you, if you yield yourself to him now, you will certainly yield yourself to him then. Except that God, by his promises, give you the power to overcome that. I don't want the stark words of the Lord, or my stark words, to keep you from having hope. Because of sin that may trouble you. These things will be overcome. I believe that for you, for me, and for all those who believe. So that is the main focus. There is no amount of knowledge ahead of time of knowing, well, these are the signs, and these are the symbols, and this is this. That's not going to help you. We do not want to get all puffed up and caught up in speculations and in stuff that just doesn't help us. The whole point of Christianity is to overcome sin. We continue to focus on that, and that is the best preparation for the end times. It is important that we know how to walk. The other thing we do, and that's why I did the, the book of Revelation in music, is because I want people to be able to know what's in there. Knowing the words of Revelation, it can't hurt. I, I just did it because I love it. But I, I do think that knowing the words of the book ahead of time is good. The, you know, the, the most important Bible you will ever own is the one that they can't take away from you. No one can confiscate it, except they confiscate your life as well. And even you have a treasure laid up in heaven that they cannot take away. So I did the music music so people could learn the words and know what's in there. And I'm doing this study so that you can know the most important keys understand it. We're going to go verse by verse, but I'm going to tell you ahead of time, I'm not going to be able to explain everything. I'm making an apology out of it because, in general, I like to explain everything. But, if it isn't given to me, I just can't, I can't do it. I can't explain everything. I don't know everything. I think of the things that are most important in the gospel, I have a, a very full and clear understanding of the things we need to know that we might be saved. The most important things that people take so lightly and leave half finished. I do believe that I, I can guide you in that in the most complete and um, responsible way. But this, I'm guiding you now into territory that is somewhat sealed to me. Like I said, and I'm going to demonstrate why that's so. Revelation chapter 1. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him to show unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass. And he sent and signified it by his angel to his servant John, who bear record of the word of God and of the testimony, testimony of Jesus Christ and of all things that he saw. The revelation is the revelation of Jesus, 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 Christ. It belongs to him. I used to like to think that this is the book that Jesus wrote. It's his book. But he gave it to John. God gave the revelation of Christ. Christ gave it to John. And he sent and signified it. He said, this is what shall be. Now the verse I want to focus on, the part of the verse is the things which must shortly come to pass. Tacos, which means a brief space of time. It can mean in haste. Promptly. It can mean either... We're going to leave for the store shortly, meaning pretty soon it's going to start. Or it can mean we're going to take a short trip to the store, meaning these things are going to come to pass at a rapid pace. And that's the interpretation I take. Unless you're an amillennialist, that's the position you're going to take. You have to take it. Because it didn't happen in John's days. It didn't happen in the days of those that followed John. It didn't happen in all the centuries in between, and it hasn't happened yet. It hasn't happened. But it helps you understand why so many Christian teachers are out there saying, we're living in the end times. Because the Bible definitely gives you this sense that it's impending. Soon. He's coming soon. That's the idea. And I don't think this is entirely to be sort of um, written off as being just, uh, well, it's going to happen quickly. Here I can say, well, this means it's going to happen with haste. But there are other passages where it gives more of an idea of things happening in, a, in our lifetime. And I've always been fond of saying to people that I will experience the end times because my life is going to end. And that'll be the end times for me. That'll be the end of the world for me. The end of the age for me. I'm going to face my end times. I'm going to face my judgment day. Whether I go down in peace in my home or some other way that I have not foreseen, I'm going to meet the end. There will be an end. And we all come to the end. God wants us 
to live our lives as though the end times are upon us. Because ultimately they are. We're going to die in our time. And that will be right there. So that for the Christian, Christ is always coming. And then the next thing we're going to return Christ from. But the world may not see the end times. So that for the Christian, Christ is always coming soon. Christ soon. Christ is no more. So we will all see the end times in our time. But the world may not see the end times. So that for the Christian, Christ is always coming soon. Christ in our time. But the world is always coming soon. Christ is no more than a lifetime away. By the end of your life, you will encounter Christ. But the world may not. We shall encounter our end times. But the world has not and will not until the time appointed. The point of the language in the scripture is to exhort us to not become complacent and not become slack, not to take these things lightly, saying in ourselves, oh, it's a long way off. It's never that far off. No matter, even if it's a thousand years from now, I still only have one lifetime to prepare for the resurrection of the dead. I only have one lifetime in which I can live for Christ. I want to live in the end times as much or more than the next guy. I do. But no amount of wishful thinking is going to make it happen. No amount of prognosticating is going to make God get off his throne and say, you know what, I was planning on making the end times much further out, but these prophets are embarrassing me and, and I'm embarrassed for them. So I'm going to move the calendar up just because just so I can make them right. Not so. So John bear record of this word, the testimony of Christ and of all things. Not become slack. Not take these things lightly. Saying in ourselves, oh, it's a long way off. It's never that far off. No matter, even if it's a thousand years from now, I still only have one lifetime to prepare for the resurrection of the dead. I only have one lifetime in which I can live for Christ. I want to live in the end times as much or more than the next guy. I do. But no amount of wishful thinking is going to make it happen. No amount of prognosticating is going to make God get off his throne and say, You know what? I was planning on making the end times much further out, but these prophets are embarrassing me and, and I'm embarrassed for them. So I'm going to move the calendar up just because... Just so I can make them right. Not so. So John bear record of this word. The testimony of Christ and of all things which he saw. John is testifying to the truthfulness of what he's saying. Etc. Verse 3. Blessed is he that readeth, and they that hear the words of this prophecy. And keep those things which are written therein. For the time is at hand. See, the time is at hand. It is time to know the book of Revelation. It is time to hear and read the words. Interesting, they say they, they read and they that hear and keep those things. It is not required that we fully understand, but that we keep. I don't think God is handing out prizes for the guy with the biggest brain. If that was, then the whole thing with Christianity would be totally different. It wouldn't work. God did not make it like that. He didn't. If that was the point of Christianity, then just all the most intellectual people would be the one favored by God. It's an almost Darwinian view of salvation. But that's the way they approach prophecy. They want to be the ones to figure it out. It does take some amount of wisdom given from God to understand the things in the Bible. To be able, and, and God gives wisdom and he gives understanding. He appoints teachers, he appoints prophets. All have different gifts, right? But it's not because we are more intellectual that's how we figure this out because I tell you what I was an intellectually advanced person understanding words and reading at a high level from the time I was young and I studied this Bible for a long time and it, it did not click with me until God gave me the Holy Ghost and I finally had this revelatory moment where I started seeing the scriptures as they truly were and so the amount of wisdom we carry with us is not the determining factor though God makes his teachers wise God makes his pro he gives his prophets understanding. And, and we would do well to listen to those to whom God has given understanding. But also with care. Because there are many wolves going about in sheep's clothing. Verse 4. John to the seven churches which are in Asia. Grace be unto you in peace from him which is and which was and which is to come. And from the seven spirits which are before his throne. 
There is so much speculation given to this seven spirits. Seven is a number that you find a lot in the book of Revelation, especially the seven trumpets, the seven seals, the seven spirits of God, the seven vials of God's wrath, seven angels, seven, seven, seven. And it's obviously a very significant number in symbology. And it denotes some sort of full reckoning of things. Some people say a spiritual perfection. Well, I see some some validity in that. It seems to me to be a legitimate thing to say. There's some sort of perfection in seven. The seven spirits of God. The seven spirits which are before his throne. So we have God, and then there are seven spirits before his throne. Is this the Holy Spirit? Divided and seen as seven separate spirits? Or are these seven totally different spirits? I mean, literally like, like a spirit of prophecy and a spirit of understanding. Isaiah chapter 11, of course, says, And there shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. And shall make him of quick understanding, of lively understanding and fear of the Lord. And shall not, he shall not judge after the sight of his eyes, neither reprove after the hearing of his ears. I'm speaking of Christ. So it, I, I do find that interesting because there we have God's spirit sort of divvied up. I mean, don't read too much into it as far as the nature of God. I think people will say, what is God seven? I, I don't think that that's what it's trying to say, that God is actually seven spirits. You know, that the Holy Spirit is actually seven spirits or seven separate persons or something like that. Because of the nature of what spirit is, there can be a spirit of a beast or the spirit of a man or the spirit of a particular time, the spirit of the times. So we have this idea of multiple spirits. People inquire about, you know, well, Paul, what's this all mean? Paul, specifically? I don't know. It's a mysterious thing. What do the seven spirits of God signify? Now, I could just say, oh, yeah, Isaiah 11, that's what it means. That's a little presumptuous of that. But I do think that gives us some sort of insight. It goes out in every direction. It covers every. The idea of the, his spirit being divided into seven indicates a sort of completeness of spiritual dominion there before his throne. So John is addressing this book to the seven churches which are in Asia. And, uh, and those will be addressed in chapter 2 and 3 directly. The whole point of him addressing the book to these churches in Asia is an interesting thing. And what he has to say to them is interesting. To me, it's symbolic of all churches. Just as there are seven spirits of God that encompass all, all the spiritual nature of God and the spiritual dominion of God, so also the churches, the seven churches, represent all that is the church. Both that which is truly of the church and that which seems to be of the church which is pretending to be the church because when we read the seven churches we're going to find that god is threatening to cast off these churches which is a strange thing to, for him to say to people this is my faith tells me that god will not forsake me that god will not cast me off i have not cast him off he will not cast me off but as luke says to him the house shall be given but from him that hath not shall be taken away even that which he seems to have. Many of these seem to be churches, just as many people seem to be Christian. But things are not always what they seem. God is eternal. He is him which is, and which was, and which is to come. He is past, present, future. He is always, and forevermore. Therefore he's spoken of in this way. And there are seven spirits before his throne. So God is past, present, and future. He's eternal. Verse 5. And from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead. God the Father and the Son are distinct from each other. Yet they are one. God is him which is and which was and which is to come. And so is Christ. From him which was and is and is to come, from the seven spirits which are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, and the first begotten of the dead, and the prince of the kings of the earth, unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood, and hath made us kings and priests unto God and his Father, to him be glory and dominion for ever and ever. 
He is the first begotten from the dead, the first to rise from the dead. Among all the dead children, Christ rose first. God's firstborn is first begotten from the dead. He is the prince of all the kings of the earth. He is over. His dominion is over all. In Hebrews it says, God hath put all things under his feet, yet we do not see all things yet put under his feet. The rulers of this earth do not seem to answer to Christ. They do not acknowledge their prince, but he is their prince. And if they will fight against him or bow before him, it matters not. He will rule them all. Unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins. Christ washed us from our sins in his blood. His blood is what purchased the forgiveness from our sins. The forgiveness of our sins does not come cheap. For our filthy sins, his blood was shed. Therefore, it is not something we ought to take lightly. But realize that we have been called to a high calling. That we might live forevermore. That we might share with him eternal life. That we may be partakers in the resurrection in which he was a partaker. Being the first begotten. We might be his siblings in resurrection. The adopted sons of God. According to the promise. He has made us kings, priests. We who are less than nothing on the earth can become kings and priests in him. By our faith in Him, by the calling of God, by the grace which gives us the ability to take heed to that call, that we should have any hope beyond this life. So to Him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Let Christ reign over all. Let Him have dominion and glory, because He did great things. He, above all else, deserves the praise of humanity. Because he laid his life down, that such worms as us should not perish, but have everlasting life. Verse 7, Behold, he cometh with clouds, and every eye shall see him, and they also which pierced him. And all the kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him, even so. Amen. The coming of Christ for the world is going to be a traumatic experience. When Christ comes, they are going to cry for rocks and mountains to bury them, that they might be hidden from him, that they may not have to look him in the face for all the blasphemies and wicked deeds they have done. All that we see happening now in the world is just building up a debt. The mockers mock, they laugh, and they think there will be no consequences. There will be consequences. They will fail because they do not want to he doesn't hardly have to do anything. All he has to do is show up. And all their fears and all their false beliefs about Christ will lead them to be in utter terror of him. They cannot come to him when they have made mock 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 They don't know him, but they will fear him. He cometh with clouds. And every eye shall see. He's going to come in the clouds with great power and glory. With, with a host of angels. He will raise the dead. And we which are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the air to return with him in company together, all together. We're going to meet in the air and we're going to come down. So the that's the lie about the rapture. The rap the, the, when Jesus comes to gather us to him, it's so that we can all come down as a unified army. Because we're taking over. We're putting down all the governments of the world. We're burning the Constitution. We're going to burn up all the, the, the works of men and create a new world order.
Let the world wail. Verse 8. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending, saith the Lord, which is and which was and which is to come, the Almighty. God speaks. I am. A and Z, as they say in some Bibles. The first and the last letter of the Greek alphabet are Alpha and Omega. The beginning and the ending. It's described for you, just so you can understand. I am the beginning and the ending. Which is and which was and which is to come. The Almighty. Verse 9. I, John, who also am your brother and companion in tribulation and in the kingdom, patience of Jesus Christ, was in the isle that is called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. Interestingly, we have the shortly come to pass, but here we also have the patience, the kingdom and patience. The kingdom and the patience are brought together because we patiently wait for a kingdom. You know, these promises in Revelation have been sitting here awaiting fulfillment for nearly 2,000 years. Have you reckoned the time from when Jesus left this world, from when he ascended into heaven? Hey, we're only like in the 1980s. We haven't even been 2,000 years since that time. But that's a long time. We patiently wait for a kingdom. We patiently seek after a kingdom. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Whether we live in the end times or not, we are to seek and patiently wait for the kingdom. So our preparation has less to do with figuring out how the events are going to unfold when the end times come, as it has to do with us preparing ourselves inwardly to meet God. Because what I see here is that the wicked are not ready to meet God. They're wailing and, and trembling in fear. They're going to howl, and they're not going to want to see His face. They're all going to see Him, but they don't want to see Him. We will be rejoicing to see Him. They will be ashamed. And you will rejoice. So John is saying, I was in the Isle of Patmos for the Word of God, for the testimony of Jesus. So for some reason he was in the island of Patmos because of the Word of God, whether sent there by God's will or brought there under persecution because of the gospel. But it was for a purpose that he was brought to this place. Verse 10, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a great voice as of a trumpet. That is important. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's Day. Now some people say, well, does that mean I was in the Spirit on Sunday? Because they call Sunday the Lord's Day, or for some people, Saturday. It's not the point I'm really making. I was in the Spirit. And we pray in the Spirit, we sing in the Spirit. There's a lot of ways to be in the Spirit. There's several ways to look at the things that John was shown and that he's reporting. What happened? John saw it. The other people on Patmos didn't see it. This was not something that there was like some uh, circus came to town. He was in the spirit, so in some form, either by vision or, or some other means, he was shown events that were not physical or carnal, and he was not seeing things as they are in this world in his time, but rather, he was given a spiritual vision or was spiritually transported to the time of the end. That's how I look at it. John either had a vision, visionary experience, or perhaps travel through time. I tend to go more for the visionary because it's not as complicated. It's a simpler explanation. There's visions. Visions of the future. The visions of the future are given from the perspective of the future. He heard this great voice of the trumpet saying, verse 11, I am Alpha and Omega, the first and the last. And what thou seest, write in a book and send it to the seven churches which are in Asia. What you see, that what you have visually observed, I want you to write it down. Unto Ephesus, unto, unto Pergamos, and unto Thyatira, and unto Sardis, and unto, Phil and unto Philadelphia, and unto Laodicea. And I turned to see the voice that spake with me, and being turned, I saw seven golden candlesticks. And in the midst of the seven candlesticks, one like unto the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the foot, and girt about the paps with a golden girdle. So these are the seven churches. Now he turns, and he sees the voice. He wants to know what's behind the voice. And he saw seven golden candlesticks. Seven golden candlesticks. Another seven. Seven golden candlesticks. These candlesticks are surrounding the personage of the Son of Man. One like unto the Son of Man, at least. Because again, this is in vision. Did he really, did Christ really come down and speak with him? Or was a vision given to him of Christ? You know, how real is a vision? A vision from God is true and real. Yet it is a vision. 
A lot of things in Revelation are visionary. I think one of the funniest ways people try to interpret prophecy is when they look at the things that John saw, like when he describes the locusts. They say he was seeing uh, helicopters. You know, that's ridiculous. Honestly, he, why would he call them helicopters? I mean, locusts. It make more sense if he called them great metal birds. I mean, he wasn't a doofus. Great flying things. The ancients were not these cavemen. They understood they could have described things better. These things are given, and the symbols are given because they're symbolic of things that are real, but they're given in a symbolic vision. So, he sees the seven candlesticks and one like unto the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the foot, and he has a golden belt. The you know, girdle about the breast. I mean, this is a high belt, chest high, a large girdle. Verse 14, his head and his hairs were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were as a flame of fire. Is this from the brightness? Have they turned white? It doesn't really matter, but the, the idea of this pure white glowing being in the midst of the seven candlesticks, his eyes were as a flame of fire, his eyes flashing with, as with fire. For a clear image, white with flashing eyes of flame. His feet were likened to fine brass, as if they burn in a furnace, and his voice is as the sound of many waters. Feet are shining like brass, you know, it's this shiny, it's this shiny metal, likened to fine brass. Not common brass, but fine, beautiful, burnished, shining like they burned in a furnace, glowing. Blessed are the feet of him that bringeth good news, that bringeth the gospel. The feet that trample out the footsteps, the sound of the marching armies of heaven to come to earth, to take over, to, do, to restore dominion on the earth to the, to the Holy One of God, to him whose inheritance it rightfully belongs. This earth is only given for a short time to man for, to do his wickedness upon it. Short time. We know how the universe is extremely, as far as time, the way we understand it, it's this extremely long. Relatively, man's time on earth, extremely short. For God, the extremely small, extremely sh short. God being infinite, infinite. It's mind-blowing. His voice is like many waters. You know, you think about the rushing sound of waters and his voice being loud and powerful like water rushing. And he had in his right hand seven stars. Another seven. Seven stars in the one hand. And out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword. And his countenance was as the sun shineth in his strength. His face was shining like the sun. His hairs appeared white, his wool white, white, feet shining, face shining, stars in his hand. I mean, this is, I, I can't even imagine how bright the whole, I mean, it seems like there'd be almost no contrast, like it'd be just all brightness. But he saw all this in the brightness, in the midst of the brightness of all this, he saw, and out of his mouth, the sharp two-edged sword. It's visionary, and Christ doesn't have metal in his mouth. He's given a vision of the Son of Man with a sword proceeding out of his mouth. The sword is the Word of God. The Word of God is like a sharp two-edged sword, cutting and dividing, even to the dividing and sunder of soul and spirit. That means death. God can kill with a word. God says die, and man perishes. God says live, and man lives again. Look at Christ. Talitha Kumi, la uh, you know, maiden, come, come forth. Maiden, awake. And, was, and now Lazarus, come forth. By a word, he brought them out. By word, he, he banished sickness. And by word, he can make dead. By his word, he can destroy armies. By his word, he can take the world into his hand. Because in God, the power and thought, you know, the, the beginning was the word. And the word was God and the word was with God. All things were made by him. It's the word that creates and the word that destroys. Verse 17, And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. And he laid his right hand upon me, saying to me, Fear not, I am the first and the last. I am he that liveth and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And have the keys of hell and death. Write the things which thou hast seen and the things which are, and the things which shall be hereafter. So he fell down like a dead man before the feet of the one like the Son of Man. And he says, I am 
the first and the last. I am he. I am he that lives and was dead. That's one of, one of the things to me that is most inspiring is the resurrection of Christ. Because that's why I believe in Christ. Because he rose from the dead. That is the thing that comes to me again and again. He rose from the dead. Therefore, by faith in him and by what he said, I might also partake in the same. It's a remarkable thing to rise from the dead. Because death is a powerful, powerful power. It has been given complete dominion over man. Man is utterly subjective to the misery and fear of all man's life. It's a shadow that falls over all, whether we acknowledge it or not. It's there. And he, ha and he has the keys. He's the first and last. He has the keys of hell and death. Hell being here, uh, Hades, which means the grave. Not hell, uh, which we'll get to the lake of fire and all that. No, but the hell is Hades, which refers to the grave. Hell and death is from which we are resurrected. Our bodies in hell, our souls trapped. He brings us forth and brings us out. The hour is coming when all that are in their graves shall hear his voice and come forth. Some to the resurrection of life and others to the resurrection of damnation. Don't be afraid, for in him is life, life everlasting. He has called us to a holy calling, to a good thing. If you love good, or wish you did, or aspire to it, then Christ calls you, because that's what he puts into the hearts of men, that they should follow him. Write the things which thou hast seen, the things which are, and the things which shall be hereafter. So it's what you've already seen, John, I want you to write that. And also the things which right now you're seeing and the things which I'm going to show you later. He's going to have a series of visions. A series of visions of things that are coming. Things which now are. Things which shall be. Here's verse 20. This is the most significant verse we've read so far as far as understanding prophecy. Verse 20. The mystery of the seven stars which thou sawest in my right hand and the seven golden candlesticks. Okay, there's a mystery here, right? Where we heard about the seven spirits. There's a mystery. We don't understand it. But here's a mystery where we're going to understand. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven candlesticks, which thou sawest, are the seven churches. Not every symbol in Revelation is interpreted. So this is a matter that is not beyond our understanding. The seven stars are the angels of the churches, whereas the seven candlesticks are the churches themselves. This is significant. Because there are some people who say, well, after chapter 3, the church never appears in the book of Revelation. Well, the word church isn't specifically mentioned. But I'll tell you what, the candlesticks make an appearance, a very significant one. The candlesticks appear again in chapter 11. There aren't seven of them anymore, there are only two. But that's not surprising, because five of the candlesticks were threatened to have their candlesticks removed from out of their place. In Revelation 11, it says, These are the two candlesticks which stand before the God of the earth. So at that point, the things which are and which were, which are, which is now is seven candlesticks around the Son of Man, which shall be, will be two candlesticks around the Son of Man, because the other five are traitors. The other five are not going to remain in his presence. The seven candlesticks are the seven churches. The five that are missing are the churches which Christ is not pleased with. The churches he threatened to remove from their place, they are removed from their place. This is one of the simplest prophetic connections you can ever make, is connecting the churches to the candlesticks, because it says the churches are the candlesticks. All you've got to do is look in chapter it says, these are the two candlesticks. The two witnesses of chapter 11 are the two candlesticks. So they are churches. They are not Moses and Elijah. They are not Herbert W. Armstrong and Peter Popoff. They are not Jack Van Impey and Arnold Murray. They are the churches. They are not the stars. See, if it was, these are the two stars, then I would expect a special guy like Moses or Elijah or one of our modern special preachers, a superstar preacher, a superstar. I'm not as familiar with the ones that are popular today as I was with the ones that were popular back in the early 90s when I still bothered to watch. The stars are the angels, or angel means, remember, a messenger. It could mean a heavenly angel, but it could mean an angel in the sense of the person in the church who is the messenger to that church. 
much as a pastor plays that sort of role. The the pastor in a, in a modern church kind of plays the role of the angel of the church. He is the one who speaks to the church and for the church. The angel of the church. Either a supernatural angel or a messenger, because the word just means a messenger. And if it's a, a an earthly messenger, it, which it could very well be, then uh, this, these stars could refer to earthly ministers. Like the names I mentioned, you know, these are stars. Who's a, a big church? What's that one guy? I don't remember his name. I, I can't remember. It's, I can't. I keep thinking. I try to think. I have faces in my mind of guys I've seen, of books I've seen. Popular these days. You know, Billy Graham, there's a star. Not a candlestick. Billy Graham is not a candlestick. He's a star. Stars are messengers. Candlesticks are churches. That's one of the beautiful, the beautiful things of this simple symbolic thing that the symbol is being interpreted for you i don't think that i'm stepping out on a limb at all to say absolutely the seven I mean, the, the the two witnesses are the two churches they are the remnant of the church that christ you know the seven churches is just all that is the church the falling away will claim the other five the two that remain are going to be those who stand and testify for christ and at the time the world, you know, it's one of the ways in which the world is not going to see the two witnesses for what they are, because they're expecting two stars, two superstars. They may even go out by twos at times, but those who will be plaguing the earth are not going to be just two individuals. It's not going to be Paul Stringini, one of the two witnesses. It's going to be, yeah, it'll be Paul Stringini, one of the two witnesses, along with you and you and you and you and you. We are going to bear witness to the truth. We, as a group. Not as superstars. Everyone wants a superstar. It's one of the things that I, I've always, after having gone down that route of ministries that exalt men, I'm trying to do my teaching humbly, without trying to build a kingdom for myself, but also being adamant about the things that are true. And it's not wrong for people to learn from me, because God's given me understanding. I want to give that to you. But I'm going to help make you independent but at the same time we are together we are unified in his mind in christ by his spirit in the most important things now for some people this is a i've identified the two witnesses in the first study they said wow you're really stepping out of bounds paul i thought you were going to leave things sealed that were sealed this isn't some great hidden truth it's right here in black and white i never hear anyone say the two witnesses are the two churches i'm sure there's got to be other people who believe the same thing but this is something i came on god led me into it on my own and no one ever suggested it to me I mean, it started, I think, early on, before I even began studying seriously. I didn't like the idea of the rapture because I thought we're going to miss out on this great end times adventure. I want to see those days. But I fear for people, the longer you live, the more people you love. And the more people you feel responsible for. The more people you want, you feel like you want to protect and defend. It was easy when I had nothing to lose. But I give it all up that I might serve Christ that I might suffer and die for his namesake and if that means awful things then let it be so I think that he'll give us the strength to bear whatever we have to chapter 1 verse 20 we're going to be going back to that it's significant do you find the church in the book of Revelation beyond chapter 3 oh you certainly do the church is going to be at the forefront of the battle against the Antichrist the forefront. We're not going to leave it to some, some, uh, some Johnny Come Lately people who, you know, after the rapture suddenly start getting religion. Do you think God wants his army made up of a bunch of, of, uh, 90 day wonder recruits? I begin to sound like somebody I used to listen to. But I mean, the 90 day wonder was in the Second World War, they would have these officers brought in. And instead of having gone to West Point, going to formal middle military training, they, because they needed all these officers for all this expansion of the army, they had these intelligent people who tested well, they would put them through officer training, and in 90 days they would be lieutenant. And they were called 90 day wonders. And so it would be the same thing, like, oh, well, there goes the rapture, all the believers are gone, especially the best of them. And then, what's left behind? You know, a few people are like, whoa, man, we better get in with Jesus. We missed the rapture. And, and these are going to be the people who are going to stand again. And not that God can't do anything he wants with, but whoever he wants. God is powerful. He can 
turn uh, someone just like that. In the scriptures, that's not how I read it, though. In the scriptures, it says, If you have run with the footmen and they have wearied you, how shall you contend with horses? You know, if in the time of peace, you, you can't find Christ, you ain't going to find Christ in the time of temptation. Yeah, when Antichrist is present on the earth, as it says, looking darkness, and show, making a show that he is God, he's going to be proving to people that he's God, or at least worthy of God-like adoration. You think at that point, with all those things going on, all the pressure from the world around you, pressuring you, then you're going to suddenly be able to just snap, turn it on, be a Christian? Well, God can work miracles. That's not the way I would. I wouldn't want to, you know, I'd rather prepare my mind. I don't want to be shocked into the end times. But there's, you know, there's obviously going to be room for that. But on the other hand, don't, don't, you know, it's like the guy who thinks he's going to live his entire life sinfully, and then he's like, well, I'm going to repent at the last minute, and everything will be cool. But then he dies before he gets a chance to repent. Oops. It's a foolhardy mentality to think you can just turn everything around. God has God not appointed it so. God has not appointed it so that just the church is going to vanish, and what's left is going to be He's going to raise it up. Now He could do that, but that's not what's appointed. The two candlesticks, the seven candlesticks are the seven churches, and the two candlesticks are the two that are left after the other five fall away. Can you have been listening to Isotopica here on Resonance 104.4 FM on your London dial, uh, resonancefm.com online, of course, which is probably where most of you, demographically and statistically speaking, will be listening to Isotopica. Anyways, this is me, Simon Tishko. You have been listening to this week's show, which is the one all about God, not the drug dealing special, which will come up in future weeks to celebrate. 21 or is it 22 years since I actually stopped taking drugs. Why did I do that? I did it because I was bored. It was so utterly banal. And let's face it, bareback life, it's a joy. If only. What can I say? 
tune in same time same place to isotopica here on resonance 104.4 fm go to the website coach.net blah 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 we are going to be broadcasting from the science museum we are very excited about it thanks for listening you can hear the repeat of this show and sign up to it on itunes by going to the website and pressing all the appropriate buttons anyway keep the emails coming text messages and all the other ways that it's really nice to communicate with the wider resonance audience out there. Thanks for listening. It's me, Simon Tishko, signing off for another seven days. Bye. Bye. This program was brought to you by Resonance 104.4 FM. Visit our website at resonancefm.com to hear our vast range of original 24-7 broadcasts. Resonance is a not-for-profit broadcast platform that relies on public support. If you like what you've heard, make a secure donation at ResonanceFM.com.